The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you are uh, just joining us, if you're new here, my name is Justin and I am one of the pastors here and I want to welcome you and thank you for being with us this morning. Um, last weekend, last weekend was a great weekend for us as a church. If you were here with us, worshiping with us, I know many travel. Um, for the first time in the history of our church, we had over 600 people worshiping unique people worshiping with us between Friday and Sunday and here in Moline. And so God is uh, doing something special. We are really excited about that. And uh, as Rob has already said this morning, our vision at Sacred City is pretty simple. We are here to make disciples of Jesus, to plant as many new churches as possible, and to renew the city. Um, we spend a lot of time kind of talking about discipleship and making disciples and how the only way to do that is in community and on mission. And when it comes to church planting, if you didn't know this, we put 10% of our budget. So 10% of everything that you guys, we just spent a whole, what, five or six weeks talking about tithing and talking about giving. Well, we do that too. So as you guys give your tithe and as you guys give your, your offerings to our church, we actually give away 10% of our budget to church planting um, in the Midwest, and also in Kenya. We um, also, I'm currently leading the Acts 29 Iowa Church Planters Gathering that meets once per month in Iowa City to catalyze a movement of church planting across Iowa. If you didn't know this, we had one Acts 29 church uh, a couple years ago. And in the, really the last 18 months, we have went from one to five and we want to see, we really want to see an actual nine church in every city all across Iowa. But this new series that we're beginning today, what we're calling a, um, a church for the city, is about that last part of our kind of mission vision statement to, quote, renew the city. Technically, our desire is to renew the quad cities. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, honestly, I'm not aware of any other churches in our area having that as part of their mission statement. Most pastors and parishioners are striving to build a great church. That means most of the time, Christians are concerned with our buildings, with our programs, and our end goal is to get more and more people into our building and into our programs so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not condemning that approach outright. I just don't think it goes far enough. I don't think it really engages the full scope of what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples who make disciples. Especially when, you know, the apex of discipleship should be the man, Jesus Christ. 
right? He should be the one that we look to and say, how do you make disciples? Let's go to Jesus and see how he did it. And Jesus obviously never owned a building, right? Jesus' approach to discipleship wasn't program-centered at all. And Jesus, when you're reading through the Gospels, it's, he was more concerned with the people outside of the religious establishment than he was within it. So, at Sacred City, our desire isn't just to build a great church. Now, here's kind of the definition we're going to be working off of. We want to build great cities for all people through a gospel movement that brings personal transformation, changes people, it brings community formation, it creates community, it brings social justice and cultural renewal to the quad cities. Now, so that word, so those, those words, they're hot button issues in today's society. And many people think that there's some, you know, and there's some baggage that goes along with using those terms. But if you read through the Old Testament, there's laws, uh, literally social justice laws that were given to the nation of Israel. So we're going to unpack those um, in, the, in the coming weeks. There's a lot to that mission statement. And this series is going to kind of unpack uh, one of those statements each week so that we can see, well, what, is, what do we even mean by being a church for the city? What do we mean when we say we want to see God and we want to be a part of renewing our city for the glory of God? And we're going to discover that we didn't choose the name Sacred City by accident. I didn't have like six cool names and I just threw a dart and wherever the dart landed, well, that's where the spirit led. No, we chose Sacred City on purpose. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this this morning. Father, uh, I do thank you for uh, just the gift of being here, that there's uh, nations and countries all around the world where people cannot gather together um, to worship you that without the threat of violence. I thank you for how we get to gather this morning. I thank you that, that you promised to be here with us in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would help me this morning, that you would help us uh, engage with this topic at, at hand, that you would speak to your people, um, and that through this series, Father, we would be a sacred city. We'd be a city within our city, and we would bless this city for your glory. I pray that you'd help me think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords this morning. Help us hear what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as we saw in our scripture reading this morning, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, <clears throat> he said that they were to be, quote, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, a city of light that gives light to the world. So before we kind of start unpacking what does it mean to be a church for the city, we first need to define what do we mean <clears throat> by city. Well, what is a city? Well, biblically speaking, the most common Hebrew word for city is this, the word ur. 
And it means literally any human settlement that was surrounded by some wall, some fortification, something that made it safe from marauders and people outside of it. So the definition of a city was really this group of people that lived kind of close together and they had some kind of fortification around it. Now, most ancient cities were only like 1,000 to 3,000 people, but the residents were tightly packed together. Therefore, according to the Bible, the essence of a city isn't its size, isn't its population, rather it's its density. Think about it. Excuse me. People live closer together in the city, right? We live closer to one another. In fact, that might be the best definition of a city. It's a place where people live close to one another. In the country right? There's more cows than people, right? In the city, hopefully there's more people than cows, right? Even though I did see my neighbor walking a pig a few months ago. Didn't know what's going on there, right? The city is where people live closer to one another, all right? Now that's basically, so that's our working definition of a city. A city is where people live closer to one another, okay? Now what is a city for? Many of us We've maybe never asked ourselves that. We don't even really think about it. But what is the purpose of a city? Well, some people have the notion that cities are actually the result of the fall of man. They're like a sinful invention of mankind. Well, that's actually not the case. When you go to the Bible and you, you, you read the book, in the book of Genesis, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden... He told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. When he did that, he was in essence saying to them, build a great city, be fruitful and multiply. He was basically saying to them, build a great city, right? Where humans can flourish, create technology, art, and commerce, all while enjoying their perfect relationship with God and with one another. So the original kind of command to mankind was to make babies and to build a great city, right? Where you could flourish as humans in your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. Therefore, a city is for at least three things, okay? Here it is. A city is for one, safety and stability. Cities allow us as humans to pool our resources together, right? And thankfully, we don't have to go and dig our own wells, right? You want fresh water? You go back backyard and start digging, right? Thankfully, we pay somebody else to do that for us and they actually do it with scientific and engineered precision, right? They're not guessing about it, hopefully, right? Hopefully when we turn the water on, it's actually clean water, right? We can, in cities, we can create waste management systems, amen? Amen. All right, I don't think anybody uses outhouses here. I hope not, right? We create waste management systems. We can create defense and protective systems, right? A police force and other uh, systems that, that keep us safe. We create medical systems to treat sicknesses and disease. In cities, human beings come together to build a safe and stable 
community together, right? Safety and stability. Secondly, cities are for unity and diversity. Cities are a place where we are meant to experience the diversity of God. God himself created people different, right? It's fascinating how different we can be, right? Different colors, different races, different, different looks, different heights, different sizes. In cities, because you're packing more people in there, you're experiencing the diversity and the creativity of God in a very unique way. In cities, you have more nationality, more races, more diverse people coming together to build lives together. And yet in that diversity, there's meant to be a unity that happens. You see this kind of, in our society today, you see this when kind of disaster strikes. In the Quad Cities sometimes, you know, when the flooding gets bad, you have Quad City people come together to, to throw sandbags and, and, and do things like that. In Nashville, when they had a terrible situation, you had the t-shirts that came out like Nashville strong. And they take pride in being, even though they're a diverse community, they take pride in being from Nashville. Or in, when, the, when the Twin tower, Towers went down in New York City, we had, you heard a lot of people saying things like, we're New Yorkers. We're going to come together. This is what we do. We're going to push back against this. And so in cities, you're meant to have this diversity that's, that, that in the midst of the diversity that you have this great unity. And this is the same way God, that God, our God, is three. He's diverse, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet he's united in one God. And third, in cities, we're meant to have productivity and creativity. Cities are places where our... Um, all of our ability to work kind of comes together. Our ability to create um, technology, most technological innovation comes from the city, right? Where are the best bands at? In the city, most of the time, right? Where do most people work? They work in the city. So the city is this place where you have a lot of productivity, a lot of creativity, where God's command for us to be fruitful and multiply and build great things. Most of the time it happens in the city. So all of that to say, what does God think about cities? What does God think about cities? Well, that's complicated. First, God loves cities. Now, why? Well, one, because he invented them, right? When he said, go be fruitful and multiply, when he was telling Adam and Eve to go build a great city, he invented it. This was in his mind. And, and not only that, but the new Jerusalem, if we were, you were with us through a book of Revelation study, the, the end of the story culminates in a great city. And that was in God's mind when he spoke to Adam and Eve. This future city that's going to come out of heaven and the whole earth is going to be renewed. This new city, that was in God's mind when he created Adam and Eve, right? So one, God loves cities because he invented them. Two, God loves cities because, here we go, people are made in the image of God. And Tim Keller says this, cities have more image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. So think about this. Human beings are made in God's image. That means when God looks at human beings, he sees a reflection of himself. In a, not perfectly, but, but in, a, in a small scale. 
So if you pack more little, think of us as a mirror, right? We reflect God to himself in a, in a sense. We're made like him in a, in a small way. And so we're like mirrors that are meant to reflect the glory, uh, the glory of God. So when you get a lot of those mirrors together, you've got more image of God, more, more mirrors that reflect God's glory than anywhere else on earth. This is why I'm going to say something that might be a little challenging to you. God loves cities more than he loves the country. And I love the country. Why? Because God loves people more than he loves pigs. And I love pigs. They're tasty. God loves people. So God loves cities in a unique and special way. And lastly, Well, that's it right there. God loves peoples and cities have more people. Therefore, God loves the city and God loves cities in very unique and special ways. Now, I know that many of us, probably if you're a little younger, typically, you might be kind of cheering right now, right? You you might be kind of stoked on this because a lot of times, even the younger generation specifically and especially, we have a romantic view of cities, Many people dream of leaving the small town, right? This is one of the great, when you're in Iowa, if you grew up in a small town in Iowa, you kind of dream of going to the university. And then once in university, now you can choose a cooler city to grow up, to live the rest of your life in, right? No more trainer Iowa. That's somebody for somebody specific here, right? No more small town. I'm going to the big city. I'm going to find myself in the big city, Many times we think that all of our problems can be solved and alleviated by moving to a bigger city where there's better jobs and there's a more diverse pool of people to trick into marrying us, right? (laughs) We we think we got a better shot in the big city. Like the reason I can't find nobody is because, you know, I'm in a small town. Probably not. I would look inward first. All right, we think if we go to the city, we're gonna find our meaning, we're gonna find our purpose. Or maybe it's just we're going there, we're gonna find better coffee, right? We're gonna find better art, we're gonna find better entertainment, we're gonna, it's gonna be more exciting, right? Many of us have a very romantic view when it comes to the city. And if that's you, I'm asking you with respect to hold your horses this morning. See, God loves the city, but he does not have a romantic view of the city. Remember, I said that his opinion of the city is complicated. Here's why. God doesn't just love the city. He also looks at the city and he grieves over the city. He mourns over the city. He weeps over the city Jesus specifically wept over the city of Jerusalem when he looked at it. Why? Let me give you this quote from Tim Keller and then I'll explain it a little bit. Tim Keller says this, because the city is humanity intensified, it's a magnifying glass that brings out the very best and worst of human nature The city has a dual nature. Now, this is what he's getting at. God created the city good. When he created man and he told man to go build the city, that was good. 
But mankind, when we sinned, we brought ruin into the city. Everyone knows there is going to be more sin in the city than in the country. Why is that? Well, there's more people in the city, right? Therefore, there's going to be more violence, more greed, more sexual exploitation. All of these things are going to be intensified in the city. Now, there's also going to be more brokenness in the city, more poverty, more pollution, more parental negligence in the city. Think about it. Because of our sin, the city, which is supposed to be a place of safety and stability, becomes a place of increased crime and poverty. And even in some cases, the people who are meant to serve and protect do violence and do criminal things against the city. It's, the city is supposed to be a place of unity and diversity, but instead it can become a place with enclaves of homogeneity and violence against those who are different. So instead of it being this big mixing pot where you've got a lot of diversity and you've got unity and we're all from the Quad Cities or we're all whatever, instead it becomes this place where you've got people separating from one another in the city and then even doing violence against one another because of their religion or creed or nationality. And in the city, even though it's meant to be a place of great productivity and creativity, what happens in the city? Oftentimes it devolves into a place where humans worship their work. They worship art. They worship culture. That in the city, oftentimes, the creation of mankind eclipses the God who created us. And so all we do is work, 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 work. I remember when I was working at Whole Foods in Omaha. I was doing my church planting residency there. And there was a girl that I was on mission to. I was sharing my faith with her. She worked with me at Whole Foods. And she, was, she had this notion, she just wanted to get out of Omaha. Now, Omaha's a little bit bigger than the Quad Cities. And it's, it's a pretty cool city. Um, and she just wanted to move to New York City. And I remember asking her, like, what? Why do you want to go to New York City? And she goes, I can't wait to go to New York City to just disappear into the city. And I thought that so strange. I said, what do you mean disappear into the city? When you go to New York City... Nobody knows who you are. You're just a face in the crowd and you just get to disappear and then you get to kind of become whoever you want to be. Now listen, that, that's not a good thing. And, and it actually causes a lot of problem for a lot of people who move to the city and realize, oh, this isn't just a romantic thing. No one knows me now. And I'm not, even if I had a little bit of talent in my small town, guess what? In the big city, you're nobody, right? You might have been the best singer in Mount Joy, Iowa, <laughs> right? If they had a Mount Joy idol, you might have won it, <laughs> right? And then you move to the city and you realize, oh, there's actually a lot more people, a lot more talented than I am. And you become, in a sense, no one. 
right? Because obviously, if you're the best singer in Mount Joy, Iowa, you walk around like, I'm the best singer in Mount Joy, Iowa. You ever heard me sing? Your mom's like, you got to hear them sing, <laughs> right? You moved to New York, you're nobody, right? You can just disappear. Now, God did not create cities for people to disappear into. They're meant to be a place of deep community where you can be known. That's what the density is for. You can be known and you can know other people and they can see you and they can know you and you can literally disciple one another and you can watch each other's kids and you can help each other in their marriage and you can help each other in the garden out back and you can help each other with chores and building building onto your house and all the things and the complexities of life, they're meant to be done in community. They're not meant to be done as individuals. Now, so because of this, so this, God's got this, you know, this, or cities have this dual nature, and so God has this unique relationship with cities in this dual nature. He loves them, but he also grieves over them, and so there is actually a tension, there's a tension in the city. There's meant to be a tension between our relationship with the city. There's a tension between it kind of being, you know, having a romantic view of the city and having a hostile view of the city or there's a tension between it being good and bad, that God loves the city and yet grieves over its brokenness. Now listen, therefore, Christians, if they're going to have a godly, biblical view of cities, cannot simply choose between a hostile view or a romantic view. We must embrace a gospel-centered view of the city, and keep the biblical tension. Now, let me ask you, what's your view of the city? Do you have this balanced view of the city? Yes, I love it, and I'm grieved over the brokenness of the city, and I'm desiring to do something about that, or do you just don't even think about the city, or you have a hostile view of the city, the cities are bad, or a romantic view, oh, the cities are amazing. Now, I used to have a very hostile view. I wanted to live out in the country. It's unique, it's special here, right? Usually we want to get out there for the very reasons that I've described. There's more cows out there than people. And guess what? I've never had a problem with a cow. (laughs) Never once. People, on the other hand, right? I got a problem with people right? I grew up kind of out in the country a little bit. Guess what I did with my bike at night? Threw it in the front yard. Went to bed. Woke up the next day. It was still there. It's unique out in the country. We don't even know what locks are for. What is this thing on the door? What? That's when you lock people out of your house. Why would you want to do that? There's bad people out there. Really? There's people that want to break it. Really? That happens in the city though, not out here. Right? We didn't even lock our doors out in the country. Right? Now, of course, I didn't want to, I mean, I say country, and we all have different interpretations of what that is. Right? I didn't mean country, country. You know, right? Like, I meant like far enough out where I could still drive in and eat at good restaurants. Right? You can't get too far away from Walmart. Right? <laughs> So you got to get, you know, close within there. Now I wanted to work or I wanted to live kind of 
in country-ish, and then I wanted to come in and enjoy the city. I wanted to work in the city. I wanted to eat in the city. Why? I wanted to hang out in the city. I wanted to work out in the city. It's no fun to work out with cows, right? I want people there, right? I want some human community, right? What I wanted to do is I wanted to live out in the country to get away from all the negative aspects of the city, but I didn't want to live so far out that I couldn't come in and actually use the city. Now, this is what I was doing. I was actually using the city for what it could give me. I wasn't loving the city. I didn't love the city. I could care less about the city. Now, here's something you have may, maybe have never thought of. When a person gets to know Jesus, Jesus changes the way we see everything. He doesn't just change this little, like we have some kind of compartment in our heart that's like spiritual. And Jesus changes the spiritual compartment of our heart. When Jesus changes us, we begin to see the whole world in a unique perspective. And it doesn't happen overnight. And many times what's required of that is going to God's word and studying God's word. And as we come to understand God's word in greater ways, we begin to see other things the way God sees them and God, the way God wants us to see them. The good news, the gospel of Jesus is meant to literally change everything. And that includes the way we are meant to see and live in our cities. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the way you see the city? And have you ever thought through this idea of what is God's perspective on our city? How does God see my city? What is God's mission for our city? Well, this is how I, I kind of want us to think through this this morning. It's, it's in, one, in one sense, it's the simplest approach. And it's also, uh, when I was in high school, we did these, we, we, my youth pastor gave me this, this little bracelet that just had four letters on it. <laughs> w, W, J, D, right? And it just, it was just meant to put, put something in your mind when you're at school, what would Jesus do, right? Confusing. It was more confusing than helpful for a teenager, right? Uh, but whatever. And I really don't know. What would he do, like, on this play in the football game? What do you mean by that? At lunchtime, what would he eat? I don't know. Burger looks good. Would Jesus do that? I don't know. It was really confusing. But when we're thinking about the cities, it might be helpful. I want you to think about this. You probably have never even thought about it. What did Jesus do? with the city. How did Jesus think about the city? It, I'm going to challenge this this morning. Our understanding of the city is probably more influenced by our culture, our socioeconomic ba background, or our socioeconomic status than it is about the word of God. And let me challenge you on that. And let's, let me just build this out. And let's see if I, I'm, I'm, I'm true. I'm accurate. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus left heaven and moved into the human neighborhood, right? Moved into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? Now listen, think about that. He left heaven. You want to talk about premier neighborhoods? 
Streets of Gold, Gold would probably be top of my list there, right? Heaven, premier neighborhood. Nobody locks their door in heaven, right? Presence of God's there. It's amazing, right? Heaven is on the top of our list of places to live, okay? And what did Jesus do? Jesus moves out of heaven in order to move into our human neighborhood, right? That's what Jesus did. And he moves into this first century Palestine where he is poor. As he grows up, he doesn't have a place to lay his head. He doesn't have his own house, right? He's a carpenter, which is a difficult trade back then. Right? Jesus literally moved, leaves heaven to move into the neighborhood. And then he, about 30 years old, what does he do? He starts this ministry. And what does the ministry look like? Step one, he goes up to people and says, hey, come follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. And as these people come and follow Jesus, what does Jesus do? <clears throat> Jesus creates a hospitable community. That's what the disciples are. A bunch of ragtag, diverse, knuckle-dragging meatheads, for the most part, and some greedy suckers thrown in there, right? That's what the disciples are. And what Jesus does, think about this. He leaves heaven where everything is perfect. He comes, lives in first century Palestine. He goes and he grabs a bunch of knuckleheads. Come follow me. I'm creating. What Jesus is doing there is creating hospitable community. And I'm going to say to, to all of us, if you're a Christian, that's what you're called to do. You're called to bring in outsiders to live in the city in such a way that people know who God is and know what he's like. And you gather people around you as you say, come follow me as I follow Christ. And you create this transformative, disruptive, goes against cultural norms hospitable community that welcomes in the outsider. Jesus does this. He welcomes outsiders into this new gospel movement. Well, what else did he do? Jesus didn't just create this cool little hipster club where everybody's, you know, one together, this diverse, you know, unity and diversity thing. He also preached the gospel and he brought salvation. So he preached the gospel. He told people there's only one way to get to know God. There's only one way to be forgiven of your sins, right? Believe the gospel. Come get to know my father. I'm going to live my life and die the death that you deserve so that you can be forgiven. But Jesus didn't just stop there. He did more than that. He also taught people how to know and live with God as their father. He also fed the poor. He also healed the sick. He also embraced the individuals who had been ostracized by society or marginalized and pushed out by society or by religion. Those who are deemed unclean, don't hang out with those people, don't touch those people. God doesn't want anything to do with those people until Jesus comes to earth and he invites them over for dinner. Right? The guy who worships money, Jesus says, today I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. 
The prostitute, Jesus says, come, come to me, right? Jesus lets her wash his feet with her hair and break her expensive ointment. He was a person. Now listen, this is one of the, I'm not going to get into it today, but this is one of the areas that we see. This is what it means to be, to be about social justice, feeding the poor, embracing the outsider, making sure the sick can be taken care of, can get better. Right? Jesus here is bringing social justice. And he's bringing cultural renewal. Jesus isn't just preaching a message of salvation. His message is far more extensive than believe in me so that you can go to heaven when you die. Jesus is actually, if you look at it in the way that we're thinking about it, Jesus is actually coming from the better city to the broken city to renew the city. Jesus is, in a sense, building a better city. What does the city need? The city needs a radically diverse group of people coming together around one unified mission Loving the outsider, inviting other people in, feeding the poor, clothing the naked, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, living on the mission of God to build a better city. That's what our city needs. That's what the city back then needed. They didn't need Jesus to get up and go, let me tell you how to get to heaven when when you die. Now, is that a part of it? Absolutely, that's a part of it. But that's not the main thrust And somehow, in the American church, everyone thinks coming to church is about going to heaven when I die. That's not what this is about. God is building a better city, and we want to get in on that right now, here in the Quad Cities. Jesus was for the city, not just for the church. And so if we want to follow Jesus and be about his mission in the world, we need to be for our cities as well. But the reality is, if you're like me, we think more about our personal safety than we do God's mission for the city. We think more about our kids' opportunity, our kids' future, our kids' safety, our kids' education than we do about the good of the city. There's been a lot of Christians who have, in essence, said, to hell with the city. I'm moving out. It's not my problem. And we wonder why things progress to get worse. We think more about our personal conveniences than we do about God's mission for the city. Guess what? It's 
difficult to live in close proximity with other broken people. They might knock on your door and need something. It's hard to live in closer proximity with other people. Having to lock your doors at night is a little frustrating. Not being able to throw your bike in the front yard and go in the house, that is a little frustrating. Not only that, they'll, they can bust your windows and climb in your garage and take everything there. That is frustrating. That isn't how things are supposed to be. You're right. We should be grieved over it and frustrated by it. But should we allow that frustration to cause us to choose the easy path of comfort and just move out of the city? Is that what Jesus did for us? Jesus in the premier neighborhood looks down and knows if I go there and if I live for the city, guess what they're going to do to me? They're going to crucify me outside the city gates. I'm going there for the city and the city's going to reject me and the city's going to crucify me. And yet, what does Jesus do? The mission of God is greater than his own personal comfort. The mission of God is greater than his own sense of safety. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, you, that's any disciple of Jesus, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Christian, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? This is unique. It's a unique perspective because most of the time we know, sometimes Jesus says things like, don't let, when you're doing good deeds, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But here Jesus gives the exact opposite. I was joking with some of my staff, I think this week, and I said, basically Jesus is saying, Instagram that. Go public with your good deeds. How else is the world going to know that you serve a good God if they don't see your good works? Right? How else are they going to do it? Now, here's my thing. How, if we have a desire for this city to be changed, for this city, for people in this city to come to know Christ and come to know our King and come to know about the future city and come to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how are they going to do it if they don't see us living in the city for the city? How? This is what I want you to think about as I close this morning. Who is on mission to the Quad Cities? See, churches take offerings and they send missionaries to Africa and they send missionaries to the Ukraine and they send missionaries to, the Turkey, to Turkey. They send missionaries all over the globe. But who's sending missionaries to the Quad Cities? Who's 
was going to preach the gospel and live out the implications of the gospel in the Quad Cities. Who's, go, who's coming here? We're the 27th least church city in the United States of America. Who's sending missionaries here? Well, I want to say we are. Now, we might not be living like it, but we're, going, we're, 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 we're zeroing in on this. We want to focus on, in on this. We want to see where we're falling short and repent and begin to change. But the only way we're going to be effective missionaries to our city is if, listen, if we can get the core message of the gospel so deep in our psyches that it seems like it's imprinted on our DNA. And in essence, it's so a part of us. It's the core message of what we believe. It's the main thought that we have in our mind and we just live out of it. See, if you want to know who the best missionaries are, the best missionaries were always the people who were the most aware of their own rescue. When I realize where I would be if Jesus didn't come after me, right? When I allow myself to get out of my American me-centered perspective of the world and I say, Jesus came for me, he left heaven. I can't get over that thought. I gotta be honest, I can't get over that thought right? My wife is phenomenal at design and making our home feel like a home. And I love my home. And I have special amenities in my home that make it extra special and extra comfortable. I don't like to leave my home a lot of times. And that is nothing compared to what Christ left to come and be hungry for me, to come and sacrifice for me, to come get his hands bloodied in his work for me, to come not only show me how to live, but also live for me and then die for me. And when I can think about that and meditate on that, right, that he didn't seek his own comfort, but he sought my good and that led him into severe discomfort, right? When I can see that, that Jesus did that for me, it does something inside of me that allows me to leave my comfort and pursue being on mission in our city for the good of our city. That, I'm gonna tell you, if you're not a missionary, if you're not a good missionary, this is why. You're not spending enough time thinking about what Christ has done for you. You're not. And when that penny drops, when you realize what Jesus has done to save you, you will be empowered to live for his mission in our city. You'll be empowered to use your financial resources to reach somebody else. I, 
I was thinking this week, I am not the best missionary, but for, by God's grace, I have um, been moderately successful. I'm going to say that, moderately successful. And I realized this last week when somebody was asking me how I do mission, I started thinking, and I started thinking, well, um, I'm, I met a doctor and started living on mission to him. And he was, became my doctor, and I started going to him as my doctor, and then I started sharing the gospel, and then told him I was planning a church, and then he, the doctor, Dr. Tom, came and became part of the church. And I started thinking about, and then, then I met this chiropractor, and well, I started going to him, uh, you know, started going to this chiropractor, and guess what? It costs money to do these things, and going to give my money to these things, and then after a little while, started making disciples and being a disciple. He, this chiropractor starts coming to the church. Oh, that's kind of cool. Then I bought some gym equipment, Started a little gym in my garage. That cost me some money. So people started coming to that. And then started, people started coming to faith in my gym, in my garage. And then people started coming to the church. Well, that was kind of cool. And then, well, I got a barber down here. I came to him for a few years before he finally wised up and came. <laughs> right? I just started thinking, like, I don't, I don't know how I do it. I don't ever do anything special. But all of those things take a change in, th I'm not just going to these people to get something from them. I'm going because I believe God has sent me to them as a missionary and I'm thinking, oh, wait, how did Jesus come to me? How did Jesus serve me? Sometimes it costs me my money. Sometimes it costs me my time. Sometimes it costs me, you know, all, I don't, all kinds of different things, but I'm a missionary and I don't own anything. God's given me everything. God is funding me. I'm a fully funded missionary to the Quad Cities. Now, my funds come through the church and my funds come through a construction company. But do you realize this? You are a fully funded missionary to the Quad Cities. How are you using those resources? Well, it might come through Alcoa or Arconic, right? Might come through John Deere. God is using all kinds of ways to funnel his resources, but it's all his. And you are here to serve his mission, the only eternal mission on the planet. And you, I'm just going to say it. I, I, I'll say this before I say it to you. I am an idiot, okay? I screw things up. I say the wrong things. I do the wrong things all the time. I'm not Jesus. I'm not a perfect missionary, okay? Think about this. God has the greatest mission on the planet, the only eternal mission, and he has chosen to use a bunch of idiots to accomplish that mission. Now, when I get to know that, I'm an idiot, but I'm fully funded by God to be on mission, that gives me confidence. That gives me confidence because it's not, okay, what is the apologetic approach that I need to speak to this guy? Well, what are his defeater beliefs? Well, what are his thoughts? Well, I need to memorize what I've read on the internet or what I saw on the internet. No, 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 no. God has sent you as a missionary to get to know that person in front of you, to sacrifice some of your own comfort and some of your own wishes and your desires, to love them well, to be there for them when they need something from you or you need something from them, to develop this community, Right? To develop this community, that's what God's called you to do. Why? So you can share the gospel with them, you can help meet their needs, and literally, you can bring them into the mission, and we can create a better city together. That's what God's called us to do. This, if you're a Christian who really just wants to come to church on Sunday morning and to feel a little better about your week, maybe hear a couple things about God, this is not the church for you. We love you. 
but that's not. We kind of lie in the announcements sometimes. All right. It was actually, wasn't it perfect today that Rob was like, we'll never push you to be anything better. Right. Says the guy we're pushing to be here right now. Right? Right? No, 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 no. When you're checking Christianity out, if you're here wanting to know what Jesus says, wanting to know what Christianity is about, wanting to know what the Bible's all about, whoa, we're not going to push you at all. Plenty of space for you to discover who Jesus is, ask your questions, dialogue back and forth. We're not asking anything. But if you claim Christ, oh boy, we're going to push you. We're going to push you because you need to be pushed on mission. This is not a place where Christians come together in this safe little environment. No, no. This is where you get trained as a missionary. I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. I'm going to give you any ideas and concepts that have helped me. And then I'm going to say, now go do it. Go do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did that. My bad. That was me. I'm an idiot. Own it. That's what this place wants to be. It's, we want to be equipping. And when people say, my hope is people, when they hear about Sacred City, they will think, missionaries. These people are everywhere. These people are so engaged in their community. And that's why every single missional community has a people and a place in our city that they're meant to be serving. And if you're in a missional community and you aren't doing that, I hope your leaders are calling you out and challenging you for not believing the gospel. You're not busy. You're not believing the gospel. Period. Nobody goes on mission when it's convenient. That's not mission. It's always inconvenient. It's always a sacrifice. That was a bit of a rant this morning, but maybe we needed it. I hope we did. I hope we did. Embrace this identity. Embrace, believe the gospel. See what Jesus has done for you. And then go and do likewise. Let me pray. Father, we are not here because we're good, moral people. We're not here because somehow we're better or more enlightened than others. We are here because Jesus came on mission to save us, and we cannot deny that reality. Jesus jumped into the waters of our world, and he grabbed us as we were sinking down, and he swam to shore, and he saved us. Not because of anything we have done or ever will do, we are only saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus. But Father, us rescued sinners, when we get pulled upon the shore of your grace, the first thing we want to do is go out there and rescue others. We want you to use us to reach our city. We want you to use us to bless our city. We want you to use us to build a city that in some small way foreshadows the great and good city to come. Would you do that for your people? Would you do that for your glory? Would you do that for our joy? In Jesus' name, amen.